Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Kreisman. And I'm Ira Kreisman. And on this episode, we dive into, for the first time, Final Fantasy Tactics. I'm very excited, Ira. I'm very excited yeah, about this. This is going to be good. Uh, this is a game in the series that, well, it's not a main entry, right? I guess this is technically our first bit of, quote, side content. But boy, does kind it of? feel wrong and weird to call this game side content. Yeah, it's it's definitely not one of the numbered games, right? We can agree on that. But neither was sure. Mystic Quest, and we talked uh, for an hour about that game. Fair enough. And for that matter, Chrono Trigger, right? Like, it's 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 more obviously a part of the family than those two things. And I and because it then ties itself with the Ivalice Alliance, right? I it's complicated and I kind of like that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive into it. We'll we'll get into all those details. We're obviously going to spend several episodes here on this game. Let's get some basic facts on the table uh, before we begin. Final Fantasy Tactics was released in Japan in 1997, the same year as Final Fantasy VII. It was released in January of 1998 in the United States of America, and we got it shortly thereafter. It was produced by the father of Final Fantasy, Hironobu Sakaguchi, who did have a, a bit of an overseer role on the thing, but this really is the project and the baby of director Yasumi Matsuno, a name that uh, we're saying for the first time on the podcast, but is a big part of the Final Fantasy lore and mythos, as Ira was just alluding to. He's basically the father of the Ivalice Alliance. He directed the Tactics Advance games, Final Fantasy XII, Vagrant Story, and the two games that preceded Final Fantasy Tactics that are really its inspiration, and that's Ogre Battle, and Tactics Ogre, two games that you and I had actually played, just random, we just happened to have played them before, not knowing that one day they would kind of merge with our favorite series. Yeah, and I remember really enjoying Ogre Battle. Um, I don't remember a lot about it. Like, I couldn't... Sometimes I do some of the... the we, we do scripts for each other, or notes for ourselves, right? And, and sometimes I can do stuff off the top of my head for Final Fantasy just because I know the series real well. I could not do that for Ogre Battle. I remember playing it. I, I've got some images in my head, but I could not do this podcast about those games, you know? Right, totally. And and that's always been one of the things, you know, we have to say, hey, why are we covering maybe this? Again, we'll use the word side project and not that one. Well, sometimes it's just we're way more familiar with it than the others. And, you know, we did play both Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre. And like you, I, I remember playing them. I remember their battle mechanics, Sure. I More remember some anything. of the classes too. Like yeah. there was a doll mage in, in Ogre Battle, like the March of the Black Queen, right? And there were some classes or, or, or units were put you on the evil side and you'd be vampires and werewolves and some put you on the good side and there were birdmen and mermaids and some of them were neutral. and Yeah, and you'd have like cards and stuff yeah, and the yeah. battles would play out automatically in Ogre Battle. It was a really interesting right. system and... I'd love to to see it remastered or, or modernized in some way and to revisit it because, as we've said, we don't remember it especially well. But uh, the director of those games, Yasumi Matsuno, 
got the opportunity because of them to do a Final Fantasy game sort of in that vein, and that is what Tactics is. That was the idea behind it from the get-go. Now, the battle design is by Hiroyoku Ito, which is really fascinating because he, he very clearly took what Matsuno had already done in Tactics Ogre and simply modified it, but Hiroyoku Ito has quite the resume for battle systems, man. Everything from inventing active time battle in Final Fantasy IV to the job and class system in Final Fantasy V to now basically taking those ideas and applying them to a tactical RPG. The, the battle system, of course, is way different than all of the other Final Fantasy games. It's something we'll talk about throughout. But yeah, man, Hiroyoku Ito doing it again. And the last two bits of production notes uh, are very important, of course, as we always do with the other games. The art is by Hiroshi Minagawa, and the music is by Hitoshi Sakamoto. And like with Matsuno, these are the people that make up the Evilist Alliance, the same way that, you know, these first several Final Fantasy games, it's Sakaguchi, Amano, and Uamatsu. This game has and so does 12 and Tactics Advance and Vagrant Story, they all take this group of primary creators with them. And so the art and the music that make up the world of Ivalice are consistent and also really, really freaking good. Final Fantasy Tactics has sold across a couple of various platforms as we always talk about this gets a little complicated but about 2.4 million copies which is very good for a video game not necessarily great when compared to the final fantasy games that were released around its same time 7 8 9 and 10 would all sell considerably more that said it got extraordinarily good reviews. Now, it's hard to tell when you go and look at Metacritic because it's combining reviews of, like, the original game and some of the mobile ports and all of these things, but it sits at an 83. There was general consensus on criticism about bad localization in the mm -hmm. original game. Mm -hmm. The script was poor. It was poorly written, and I'll talk about a couple examples of it, but... Sure. There are some, some of the awkward ones do still stick with me though. They're, like they, yeah. when we get to the War of the Lions translation, like obviously that's awesome, but there's a part of me that still really appreciates blame yourself for God. You know, <laughs> it's, it's very, yeah, it's very simple. It's very basic, but we'll actually talk about that exact one here in just a minute. Uh, I will say though that, yeah, that's, where the primary criticisms come from. It's original translation, and also that now that War of the Lions exists, and that is the translation we will primarily be using here, it's a little bit inaccessible. It's a game that came out on a PSP system that largely isn't being used and in circulation anymore. You can't get it on Steam or on the PlayStation Store. You can only get it like on your phone, and that's how you right. and I have had to play it to you know, go back and re-experience it for this podcast. So in that way, you know, that's on Square. It has nothing to do with the game itself, but boy, is it frustrating that it's so inaccessible. As far as its general legacy beyond that, GameSpot called it one of the greatest games of all time in a series they did where they didn't really rank things. They just were listing games that belong in that category. As far as actual rankings go, Famitsu 
In Japan, ranked it the 84th best game of all time. Game Informer, the 45th best game of all time. Electronic Gaming Monthly, the 43rd best game of all time. And IGN, who does a new top 100 every couple of years, and oftentimes it looks wildly different, back in 2007 called Final Fantasy Tactics the 38th best game of all time. They just recently did one, and Tactics was not on the list at all. Hmm. <laughs> but, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting choice. Yeah. So there is pretty universal consensus that the game itself is quite good. The story is good. The characters are good. The battle system is good. The art, the music, all of those things are good. But it doesn't quite have the legacy that a lot of these other Final Fantasies do. Though I will say it's a very common hipster pick you know, for sure. people that are really into the seriousness and the political machinations as well to say that this is actually the best Final Fantasy that has ever been made. Okay, all right. I, I feel like it's... I, I kind of made this same comment when we were talking about Chrono Trigger. Like, if you ask on the on the Twitter machines, you know, what are the what are the best games of all time or the best RPGs of all time, not everybody's going to say Chrono Trigger, but somebody is. And not everybody's going to say Final Fantasy Tactics, but my bet is somebody is. Somebody like will. Yeah, it's always... It, it's still there. Nobody... It has not been forgotten. And I will say, finally, before we get into the themes, as far as my own personal ranking goes, and those of you who follow on Twitter and have seen the tier list have seen it all the way <laughs> up there at the very top, alongside 6, 7, 10, and 7 Remake. Tactics, to me, is up there with the best of Final Fantasy, and so that's another reason why I'm really excited to jump back into it and, and talk about it, because a lot of people, and I would assume even a lot of people listening, haven't gotten the chance to play this one. All right, before we get to the story, let's talk about some of the major themes we will be discussing as we go through. The first and most obvious one that we've seen and before in Final Fantasy, and we will see again, war. War is bad. War, war is hell. War is bad. War sucks. You know, actually, did you ever watch that TV show MASH? <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little, little bit, right? right. I. I watched it some. I watched the movie. It's not like, you know, it's not high on my list of things I watch or want to watch again. But there is an exchange between uh, Hawkeye, as played by Alan Alda, and I think the chaplain that is really telling to what I think some of the, the themes of Final Fantasy tactics are. Hawkeye says, nah, man, war is war and hell is hell. And of the two, war is far worse. And I, I think he's talking to the chaplain. Chaplain says, well, what do you mean? And he says, well, who's in hell? Sinners, right? Murderers, uh, rapists, bad people. And Hawkeye says, yeah, exactly. There are no innocent bystanders in hell. Mm. But in war, there absolutely are. Just about everybody is an innocent bystander in war, except maybe the top brass, you know, the people in charge, the elites, the noble families, perhaps. Right. And, and I think that's a big part of what tactics is getting at. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. I wanted to go straight to a moment in the game, actually, but it's major spoilery. So right, we get there. Right. I, when we get there. I know what you're saying. I know yep. what you're thinking. Yep. Yep. Okay. So theme number one, war is hell. Theme number two, class war is hell. 
No kidding. As you, you just alluded to, and this will really get deeply, deeply into, but uh, the nobility versus the not nobility, as, mm-hmm. as it were. Mm-hmm. The next theme on the list, and this is where I think Final Fantasy Tactics really, truly excels and, and does something unique, is in dealing with legacy, personal legacy versus family legacy versus community legacy. So the individual, let's say the main character, Ramza, what he owes to himself and to his immediate surroundings. The family, House Belv. We'll talk about that in a minute. What does he owe to his family, to his lineage, to those who came before him and those who will come after him in his bloodline? And then the community, whether it be your country, your religion, your set of beliefs. And so people leave behind a personal legacy, a family legacy, and a community legacy. And this game is very interested in the story, very curious about who prioritizes what. The next one on the list, and something we've talked a little bit about before, but are going to get way more into with this game, the manipulation of faith and belief and of organized religion. Yep, yep. This was, we kind of talked in six about how that was the first time we really had a, you know, we're we're facing down deities, right? Our our warriors of light have to kill the, the new deity of nihilism and madness. And there's some... Maybe some comment on religion there. But this is the one where... And, and there's been hints of religion, right? Like there are churches in Final Fantasy One, but it's tactics where religion is plays a big role and especially how this particular religion is messed up. Yeah, yeah. Another great theme that we've got here, and I guess, well, along with that, right, is the corruption of the power of the gods. So... Sure. Those two things are similar, uh, but Final Fantasy XII does a lot of this as well, where it takes the superpower trope, right? Whatever that that super weapon is going to be, and uh, usually makes it a a power of the gods, and and asks what would happen if that power was corrupted. Um, and then we have these sort of meta themes about what is to be learned from an imperfect understanding of history. Yes, absolutely. Right. We are, we are told this story, and we're, we're about to dive into this here in just a second, but by an historian who tells us right away that the history we know is wrong. Yeah, because of class warfare and those in charge corrupting, you know, whatever, corrupting faith. You know, if you have faith in the church and the government, well, then you believe our, our uh, story, right? And we talked about this in our memory episodes with Final Fantasy VII too, right? How do you want to be remembered? You know, right. are, you, are you Rockefeller? Are you Carnegie? They're not the same, but, you know, all rich white dudes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there, there are a lot of interesting meta comments through the telling of the story, the way it's framed. Remember, we talked about how Final Fantasy VI is presented as a stage play, Final mm-hmm. Fantasy VII as a Hollywood blockbuster film, you know, and this is presented as an historical account, which is really interesting. And then, of course, there are the meta themes about how everything is different than other Final Fantasies. We'll talk about all the differences between Ivalice and the things that are, you know, 
in this world and aren't. Yes, there are chocobos and moogles. No, there aren't other things. So we'll we'll kind of go through all that. The battle systems being different. It is and it isn't Final Fantasy in so many different ways. And some of the translation stuff that we talked about earlier. But do note that we will, for the vast majority of the time, because I believe it is maybe the best written dialogue in the history of the franchise, I'll probably also do more direct quoting from the game than we've ever done before. Because in the history of Final Fantasy, most of the dialogue, and we've pointed out, I think, some really good writing when it's come up. And we've, you know, what a wonderful turn of phrase. But for most of the dialogue, the point was to just get the point across, right? Make sure that we understand the story and we care about the characters and all of that. The language of this game, especially uh, now that once they fixed it. <laughs> right, right. Is beautiful. And one last sort of meta theme about this whole thing is its tone and references to our own history. In other words, if this was made today, people would be like, oh, Final Fantasy is doing like a Game of Thrones thing. Right. Because there's there's some levity and humor in this, but not much. No, no. <laughs> very this dark, is... very serious. It, it's kind of what some people seem to think Final Fantasy VII was. In, right, because they missed regard. all the dolphin stuff. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's plenty of dark and serious stuff in seven. Sure. But there's way more levity in that than there is in this. There is it's it's not a place for cracking jokes. Lots of murder, lots of backstabbing, lots of you know, people living in the mud and the filth and the haves have and the have nots are sharpening their guillotines, right? Like it is nobody wins. There are very few good guys, and the good guys there are I mean, are exiled or, or executed. It's spoilers, I guess, but yeah, I it, mean, it does not w- end well for most people. Yeah, and, you know, again, I, I can see people doing the comparison to Game of Thrones, and there's actually a very good reason for that. They're based on the same real-life historical war, a war between the Lancasters and the Yorks or, if you will, the Lannisters and the Starks, or Goltana, and you get it. Right. Ramza, as the bastard son of a noble house known for producing great warriors. It's Jon Snow, uh, but better written and more interesting and with a more satisfying character arc, I would argue. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Game of Thrones is still one of my favorite shows of all time, but boy, did they not land. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. And those historical references are something that we'll try to take note of as well. And we're maybe both going to have to learn a little bit more about the actual war that these things are based on. But the big point that you were just talking about where, you know, there aren't necessarily just the good guys versus the bad guys or everything works out for one side or the other. It's just very messy, like in real life. Yeah, it's, it's very easy in Final Fantasies 1 through 7 to say, we're the good guys, we're the light warriors. And we are. But there are are there light warriors in Final Fantasy Tactics? I don't know, man. Mm, not a lot of light anything. in the... So, yeah, everyone's homework, including ours for this series of podcasts, is going to be to learn a little bit more about the Wars of the Roses. And I'll begin, and it's a starting place, isn't it, with just 
actually the opening paragraph on its Wikipedia page, which says that it was a series of civil wars fought over control of the English throne in the mid to late 15th century, fought between supporters of two rival branches of the royal house of Plantagenet, Lancaster, and York. The wars extinguished the main lines of two dynasties, leading to the Tudor family inheriting the Lancastrian claim. Following the war, the houses of Tudor and York were united, creating a new royal dynasty, thereby resolving the rival claims. And it also came immediately in the wake of the Hundred Years' War, which parallels in this story of Final Fantasy Tactics, the Fifty Years' War. All right, we open Final Fantasy Tactics with kind of a cold open here before we get to the you know, new game or continue screen splash page for the game if you let it play there's this little of course beautiful music and shimmering crystals in the background and we just get some words sword in hand a warrior clutches stone to breast in sword etched he his fading memories in stone he tempered skill by sword attested by stone revealed. Their tale can now be told. The Zodiac Gravestone. Oh, that's so good. For, for one thing, like the stone, right? That could be the crystal of Final Fantasy One, but the crystals in this game, not quite like the crystals we're used to, right? Yeah. Tempered in war, sword in hand. Zodiac Brave Story can now be told. How many years after? Uh, these events are we historying this uh, this tale it's it it hints at so much without giving away anything yeah so immediately thereafter we're given sort of a blank screen or it's like a page of a book an empty page of a book as a backdrop and we are introduced to well actually he introduces himself Arislam calls himself a student of Ivelis's middle age. And again, we have no idea. We, we don't see this person yet. We're just, he's just talking to us and no voice acting yet. <laughs> right, right. And he does this very interesting thing to start, which again, none of the other Final Fantasy games have done, where he addresses us, the audience, immediately. He asks us a question. He says, you are familiar with the War of the Lions, no? <laughs> Now, yeah. Yeah. this is so great and meta right away because they know that we that the answer to that question is no. If we're playing the game for the first time, we have no idea what you're talking about, right? But if mm -hmm. we were there in the room with him, this would be common knowledge of the people of the world. Sure. And who is he talking to? Is he talking right. through some sort of magical prism to us? Or you know, is he telling the story to an unseen audience in the room? Right. Maybe he's a... A lecturer, right? Maybe he's talking to a class. Yeah. But if this is a hidden history, maybe maybe that's mm. not allowed. Maybe that wouldn't be such a good idea, actually, yeah. So whether we do or do not answer, you know, that we're familiar with the war, he gives us a little bit. He says, it's a bitter war of succession that rent the land of Ivelis in two. I love it when they rent. Again, the language is just going to be... Yeah. Uh, here we find first mention of Delita Hyral our first named character, other than Arislam, I suppose. So that Delita is the first person that comes up, I think is fascinating. Right, because in the history, in the story of how it's told. 
Right. So he says, this was a hitheretofore unknown young man, the hero who would draw the curtain of this dark act of our history. He says, his heroism is of great renown, but is a mere fragment of the truth. So here we're getting our, we all know history, except the history we know isn't right. Exactly. He continues, the youngest of House Bales. Now, I've, I've changed how I pronounce that because my understanding is that it was supposed to be a reference to Beowulf. Oh, no kidding. Um, I think we pronounced it Beowulf. Yeah, I, I think some of the, uh, I think the spelling got swapped around a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll do my best to pronounce it. Beowulf, right? Beowulf? Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I think that is technically canon, but like we've said a lot of times with these, and especially with names and accents and things, there are going to be multiple pronunciations. But Right, right. And there will be a Beowulf later. Like there's a... Right. Beowulf <laughs> is in the game, <laughs> in the story. So, But the youngest of House Beowulf, long famed for producing leaders of knights and men. So, you know, Stark. Mm-hmm. There is no official record of the role he played on history's stage. According to the Dry papers, who Dry? So oh man, uh-huh. all of this means stuff. This is so good. Anyway, yeah, well, it's going to take us forever to get through this. Um, uh, and he says the Dry papers, which had only become known in the last year, having lain dormant in church archives, but that this young man is the true hero. I love this line. He says, the church maintains that he was a heretic, an inciter of unrest and disturber of the peace. Revolutionaries, man. Yeah, right, totally. Uh, and then once more, he addresses whatever his audience is. And he says, which account is to be believed? Join me in my search for the answer, suggesting to me that he does not know all of this yet. <laughs> sure. Maybe he's writing it down as he's doing his research. Right. As he's reading the Durai papers. Right. Mm, that, that name, Durai, I wonder if it'll mean something later. Yeah. And then he says this, Ira, he says, but first, what is the date of your birth? <laughs> yes. Oh. So this is where we get to name the main character, as we do in, in most of these games. We're going to stick with Ramza, of course. And uh, you get to set the birthday, which is determining your zodiac sign, which... Right. doesn't really have a ton of impact on the story, but can on certain like battle things. And But it is interesting that you get to do it. It sets very early the tone that the Zodiac signs matter. Right. And for people who are really into the gameplay, Zodiac signs matter. Right. Uh, I Good never point. quite figured it out. Uh, I Whenever I tried to do it, I just had to have a chart in front of me. Um, but it, it, I'm glad that it exists, even though I wasn't really into that part of it. Totally. Did you give him your birthday? Yeah. Yeah. I assume that's that's what I always did. I assume that's what most people. <laughs> so then we've got our setup, right? Then we get our actual real cutscene opening movie here. We we get if you're doing the War of the Lions version, which we are, these like really beautifully hand drawn animated sort of watercolory. They're not FMVs. They're not CGIs. They're cutscenes. I get. That's just all. That, yeah. That's what they are. It, they they feel to me like woodblock cuttings, which you might see in an historical document, right? Mm. And and so I really like the way they're put together. It's it's evocative of 
the the feel this game is going for as as a history. Yeah. So now we see Arislam, but in a very tight shot and only from behind. He's in a room filled with books, which, of course. Yep. Yep. And we only see he's wearing a black robe. Seems to have darkish, reddish, brownish hair, and the the camera sort of pans up over his shoulder as he unrolls a map of Ivalice. And the camera just continues to zoom in on the map until it sort of goes through a, a grouping of clouds, right, and emerges on the other side, and now we are in the world. We've gone back in time, we've gone into the history, we've gone reference tactics advance into the book, mm -hmm. into nice. the story, right? And the camera sort of settles down now into our new plane of existence and we see we don't if you don't know who he is right away if you haven't played the game before but we know so we'll say it's Delita Hyrule clad in gold armor he's got reddish brown hair white cape with the crest on it very regally dressed sure the man looks like a hero yeah he's sort of testing the river just kind of feeling out the environment and then he hops back on his chocobo for a mad dash through the forest and open field with a couple of companions and at one point he stops looks up at the sky and ira our bird of hope is back <laughs> the bird of hope from final fantasy 6 and the spirits within and the beginning of final fantasy 7 remake and anywhere else that we haven't gotten to he look it's just, I, I'm, I swear it's the same damn bird yeah it's, it's an omen a sign it's it uh, it is it is a good symbol to continue to come back to yeah so he makes his way through some castle ruins and you know, no dialogue just intensely incredible music going on and it just begins to rain in some light distant thunder as he arrives at a church a large bell tower and that's where the, the cutscene kind of ends with a, a shot of him standing in the trees looking out at the bell tower, getting ready. I do want to draw attention to what you just said about there are these castle ruins, right? Because one of the things I've really been enjoying about the new Wheel of Time show, for all that I'm nervous about the differences between it and the books, is that there is a sense of history to that. When they're riding across the countryside, there are like these giant old aqueducts that are falling apart and there are these old buildings that they stay in and like parts of statues and whatnot and and i think this alludes to that to some degree because as we will find out here in a while like this this nation which is on the brink of war just got done with another war right there is a lot of history here and you can you can say a lot of that without saying anything when you just show the ruins of a bunch of castles you know in an overgrown forest yeah, it's such a phenomenal intro. Anyone who listened to our top 10 intros list heard the pain in our voices when this couldn't make it into the top 10 because it's just uh. such a great way of pulling you into a story. And it's technically not over yet because now we are going to be rapid fire and in incredible fashion, again, with the new translation, introduced to a bunch of characters and a bunch of ideas. Like, hold on to your hats because we're going to have to stop every couple lines of dialogue. We are now inside the church. 
and we see in the way that old RPGs could introduce what a character's name was just because their name would be at the beginning of whatever uh-huh. they said. Uh-huh. So you don't have to say, I, Ramza Bielu. He's just, right. his name is there, so you know. Totally. So the first line of spoken dialogue inside the world, so from a character of the story and not just the historian speaking to us, comes from a young woman named Ovilia. And she is clearly praying to her god and says, you know, Oh, father, abandon not your wayward children of Ivelisse. And she's asking forgiveness and being very wholesome about it. Yeah. Makes it easy to be on her side. Right? Yeah. Because showing that kind of genuine piety. For all that I'm not a religious person at all. A, a, a genuine piety, a, a genuine wanting to to believe in and worship a, a being of goodness is is a good way to get the audience on your side and that she's praying for everyone she's not praying right. to win the war or you know the football game right right <laughs> there's no strike down my enemies it's right please don't abandon us even though we have done bad things totally right and then we are introduced to an older woman, not older, but older than Ovelia. I have no idea actually what age she's supposed to be. I can look up all this stuff. and We can do this next episode a little bit when we have time to slow down. But the game doesn't give us that introduction. So we're just introduced to Agrius? Agrius? I, I've been saying Agrius for about 20 years now. I might not be able to not say it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think, again, that's one of those ones that may have been changed around a little bit or maybe we always said I, I look at the name now and I, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be Agrius but okay whatever uh, super badass holy knight as we will come to learn for now uh, we immediately see that she is in charge of protecting the princess she comes in she's doing the looking around everywhere we got to get out of here you know I, I get that what you're doing is important to you but she's clearly in a panic and she does the, yeah, we've got to go. There's an elderly priest there as well. And, and he agrees like, all right, princess, time for you to go. Enter the mercenaries. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that a thing? This That's, is just, yeah. Yeah. Because so it's not, it's not Terra being pursued by the empire, right? It's not Bart's going on an adventure with his buddy Boko. It's not uh, the paladin and the dragoon getting kicked out of the castle. It is a little bit cloud. A little bit doing doing what he does for the money but in this case yeah it's this is a this is a tough world and you got to do what you got to do and and these guys are definitely mercenaries some more sympathetic than others so we see three of them i would imagine in in a remake or reimagining or if you were doing this as a television show you probably have a few more but there's really two characters here that are of interest and that is gafgarian the dark knight clad in dark brownish reddish armor mostly from head to toe though he's got a little flap on his helmet that opens up so that you can see his grizzled angry face uh-huh with big old white mustaches yeah and ramza who is our main character blonde hair purple shirt sure yeah kind of nondescript at this point but other than the the spiky blonde hair, a clear indication that he is a Final Fantasy hero. Sure, yeah. And so Gafgarian is loudly 
being incredibly obnoxious, complains that they've been waiting for the better part of an hour. Oh, no, not an hour. Not an hour. Agrius, Agrius, she's not having it. They get immediately into what the first of what will be at least a hundred remarkable <laughs> wars of words in this game. This, this should be called Final Fantasy Tactics, the War of Words. Like, if we've talked about professional wrestling every once in a while here, you know, like when professional wrestlers cut promos on each other and they go back and forth about all the different ways they're going to beat the crap out of each other. This is like the absolute highest end of that concept, basically. Can, can you imagine a, a pro wrestler, you know, a Hulk Hogan? You cur. <laughs> you forget yourself, sir. <laughs> Which is what she says. She says, you forget yourself, sir. You're in the presence of the princess. And he says, oh, mayhap bowed heads would less offend. <laughs> so, and then he says, you know, you shouldn't waste your time on such idle pleasantries. Clearly mocking them. And Ramza and the other mercenary actually do get down on their knees once they realize it's the princess. And Gavgarian just sort of bows his head slightly and then makes fun of everybody for doing it. Right. And Agrius responds, I see even the noble order of the Northern sky cannot rid itself of vulgar knaves. Well, yeah, Agrius, it's war. I'm, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and really like for all that Gafgarian is an ass, uh, he's not entirely wrong. He makes a lot of sense here, right? He he responds, you ought not expect chivalry during these times, and our pay doesn't cover that. Exactly. And also, if it weren't for the royals, we wouldn't be in this mess. Like, maybe Ovelia is, is not to be blamed, but... Right. Yeah. So there's so much going on here, right? Where he's like, he's clearly the asshole, but he's not wrong and that kind of feeling let's get used to that there's going to be a lot of that in this game right so before they can really escalate their war of words ovelia agrees says, all right let's go let's get out of here says goodbye to the elder priest you know god go with you and with you child all that kind of stuff and another soldier bursts into the room and says the enemy is upon us and this is when finally gafgarian turns to ramza and says Hey, you ready for this? You better be ready for this. And Ramza gets his first line of dialogue in the story saying, of course, it's what I signed up for. I'm just another sellsword. Yeah, yeah, just another sellsword. Man, not really, though. <laughs> yeah, right. It's sort of, again, it's kind of Jon Snow saying, well, I'm just the bastard who has to wait outside. You know, like I just do this now. It's like, well, we'll see how long that lasts, buddy. So our party goes outside and are perplexed, to say the least, at the army, that is, the small army, really, it's a squadron, really, that they're being attacked by here at the church. And they bear the crest of the Black Lion, says Agrius. Does Duke Goltana mean to start a war? <laughs> uh, yes, is the answer. Yes, <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> so, you know, of course, they, they have a standard villain ask here you know they they show up give us the princess okay All right. right we right. get what this is we've played video games before protect the yeah. princess got it we've played final fantasy before jack garland possibly jack garland you know <laughs> yeah the best swordsman in all of cornelia kidnapped yeah. the princess yeah we, we've done this before yeah so at this point we get our first battle of the game 
we, we get some dialogue again. Agrius and Gafgarian are not done screaming at each other <laughs> and won't be for, for quite some time. But again, right. we have another exchange that I absolutely love when they're beginning the battle. And they're fighting on the same side. Right, they, right. And Gafgarian essentially you know, yells out the command to his mercenaries, kill all these bastards. Yeah. And Agrius says, we don't need to do all that. That, that that's absolutely absurd, sir. She says we only need put them to rout. And Gafgarian replies, "I find dead men rout more easily." Yeah, again, not wrong. <laughs> There's a certain amount of, you know, I'm, I'm I'm never going to be in favor of violence for solving problems, uh, especially when it comes to war and the people who are dying are are really the poor and the peasants and whatnot. But at the same time, like, I I his position is practical it is understandable yeah it sucks and it's not one i could ever find myself holding but i absolutely understand why somebody in this situation would have it right so after the battle is won we get another cut scene with the prettier graphics and all the and the pretty artwork that we were talking about earlier and we're back inside the church we hear first ovelia screaming unhand me and then we, we see our friend. Well, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get to that. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll define that word in a bunch of different ways throughout this story. But we see Delita clearly kidnapping the princess. And at this point, remember the storm that arrived when he did? It is now pouring rain. Just the sky has opened up. The most rain you've ever seen in your life on these cobblestone church steps and out in this secluded place, right? And then as she's struggling and he's trying to kind of rein her in and get her out of there, you know, he's saying like make less noise and all this stuff. And eventually he gets frustrated, punches her right in the gut. Yeah. And, and that's gross and awful, but I do like that princess Ovelia does not go quietly. Totally. Right. Like she's, she's not having it. She's not just going to go along, but you do also get the sense here that like, I don't know. There's also something unusual about the way that Delita is kidnapping her. He's certainly not being as ruthless as he could be. Sure. Right. And then he says this line, depending on your version. And you, you alluded to it earlier in the original translation. What he says is don't blame me, blame yourself or God. (laughs) Which, which I got to say is a great line. I just love that. Cause there's a certain amount of, like this isn't my again. It's it's like with Gafgarian, right? Like this is not my fault. I did not do any of this stuff. I mean, he did some of it, but I didn't do most of the stuff leading up to what's happening right now. Right? Like it's right. it's fate. It's chance that you right. would be the one that all this is going to rest on. Right. In the updated translation, he says, "Forgive me. Tis your birth and faith that wrong you, not I." Which is more alluring into the story of the world. What does he mean by that? What is wrong with her birth? What uh-huh. is wrong with her faith? Uh-huh. Why are they to blame? And how does he feel like that makes him less culpable? Because her, her birth and her faith did not just punch her in the stomach. That was Delita. Delita did right. that part. <laughs> right. And there's, I mean, we've talked before about how much responsibility do, do villains bear for, you know, having been 
experimented on when they were children, like Sephiroth, or having been, you know, a bunch of evil spirits trapped in a tree, ex-death, <laughs> or just sure. being a force of nature, the cloud of darkness, right? Right. But but Delita is just a human man and yeah. is and that's still trying to shunt responsibility. Like, I get that he feels like he has to, but he's still he's still choosing to kidnap. He's, he's doing a thing. He is making a series of active choices and learning about that is going to be a lot of what this story is about. But what a first line of spoken to. I do think he says before this, like try making a little less noise or something like that. But this is really his first line of dialogue in the story. Forgive me. Tis your birth and faith that wrong you, not I. Yeah. And and I think it's really cool that, I mean, we were just told this man's the hero of this story, right? Historically, the lead is the hero. Right. But we're introduced to him kidnapping a princess. And Ramza, well, Ramza's a heretic who, who barely impacted anything. And he's just a mercenary. Right. But they know each other. Right. And then we get this last little bit of what really is like the prologue or the opening act, the introduction to Final Fantasy Tactics. And that is Ramza, who's been very stoic to this point. We've barely seen him do anything. Now, all of a sudden, he's in a dead sprint, wheeling his way around the outside of the church so he can get a glimpse of who this person is. Again, in the absolute pouring rain. Delita, he lives? But why does he fight under the banner of Duke Cortana? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is an excellent question. We barely even know why. Yeah. We have... And like I said, we got rapid fire introduced there to Delita, Gafgarian, Agrius, Ovelia, Ramza. Did I leave him out? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I left mm-hmm. out the main character. Right. And a lot of the church stuff, the oddness of her birth, all of these things laid out in front of us. The war between uh, the lions, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> as it were. Uh-huh. And yeah, it, this this stuff is all so remarkable and then ira after all that setup and maybe we feel like we've got a little bit of our bearings underneath us screen goes black and we get a flashback from (laughs) well before all of the events of this right right so we'll get into that next time but i did want to say since we were introduced to these characters that uh, i do think that these are some of the most interesting and underrated characters in Final Fantasy's history, when people talk about favorite characters or, or villains or, or whatever else, uh, you know, I feel like Ramza, and Agrius, and, and Gafgarian and Delita are really, really, especially Delita. I, I've said before, I feel like Delita is one of the most underrated characters in Final Fantasy's history because he's so interesting, because so much of his story is compelling from so many different angles. And and the same, I think, is true of Ramza. And I'm excited to, you know, remember more of, especially the middle 
we were talking before about like our, our memories of some of these older games and I have clear recollections of the beginning and ends of this story and of this game and of this experience. Um, excited to flesh out kind of the middle parts again upon replay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm excited to discuss with you what the ending means. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. I, I almost want to get straight there. <laughs> I know. But, I know. but you can't get there. Like you can't, we cannot talk about it until we have the whole setup. Because that's the point, right? Right. I feel like in a similar way to Final Fantasy X, that this story almost had to have been written backwards. Right. It, it's basically a long way around to, well, I mean, I can't even say it, right? Right. Right. Well, we'll have to get there. Because it's such a small, quiet scene right there at the end. Yeah. And there's two different versions of it, which can vary your interpretation. So yeah, there's just so much to discuss here. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, luckily, as we're going through on the podcast, we won't have to spend 20 minutes for every battle. Uh, you know, exactly. we'll just skip through those yep. things. So it'll all be the story and we'll be able to get into this. But some of the best and some of the worst, some of the absolute, like when we talk about villains. Oh, yeah in the franchise and and we go on and on about Kefka and Sephiroth and Arden and and some of these other great Seymour or whatever. And I've done this a million times, leaving out people like Argoth. I know. That's not God, that's unconscious. That dude. For Seriously. straight up. Some of the worst people yeah. who've ever been in a Final Fantasy game are in this game. Right. And and they they're not, you know, supernatural entities from beyond the whatever. Just a f- shitty person a boot licking son of a bitch Fuck yeah. that guy yeah i hate that guy and i don't typically even like fictional characters i tend not to hate them right i don't hate the emperor i don't hate emperor palpatine right but this dude oh yeah one of the absolute worst we haven't even, so we'll meet him next time uh, maybe <laughs> we're getting a little ahead of ourselves we are getting a little we've bit done the introduction <laughs> uh and this world and and being introduced to the world of of Ivalice. Again, just that it has its own special magic about it. And I can't even quite place my finger on what it is, these alternative histories, but it doesn't feel like the Middle Ages from Lord of the Rings or from other Final Fantasy games or whatever else, you know. Even long before 12 would introduce all of the extra races and stuff with the Viera and the Banga and all of that. Like, it just feels so lived in and so real. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and thank you to everyone who's reached out to us. Feel free to let us know what we missed, got wrong, or should have mentioned by emailing us at finalfantasyweekly at gmail.com or checking us out on Twitter at ffweeklypod. Also, don't forget to swing by the Patreon page, patreon.com slash ffweekly and also patreon.com slash DC Productions for more Final Fantasy stuff, including written content, top 10 lists, other video game chat, talking about the DCEU and the MCU and Star Wars, going through Book of Boba Fett right now, all kinds of fun, exciting, nerdy stuff, The Wheel of Time, The Witcher. If any of those things interest you, then you might find some fun times and also get to be a part of our completely non-toxic Discord channel where people are chatting about these things in a positive, community-building way. 
all the time. So if you're interested, swing by patreon.com slash dcproductions.